jump, we're on. Jump the gun a little bit there. Here we are, mm. Under the Bar podcast for another uh, podcast mm. uh, from Under the Bar. <laughs> from Under the Bar, in the, the same new studio that we were last week. Yeah, look, I'm enjoying the new studio. We mm. had um, a little bit of everything this morning pre-show, a bit of mm. uh, sure coming mm-hmm. through the headphones. Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves and uh, Turn Back Turn Time. Turn Back Time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's about as good as it got for her, really. So I'm, No, you, I'm, you be careful, mate. <laughs> I couldn't say that I'm a huge fan, but uh, for Calypso, uh, <laughs> that's tremendous. Now, Rawdon, um, really uh, looking forward to presenting this episode's guest to the Under the Bar audience. Mm. We've got Thomas Lilly on the program. Those who do know would know exactly who I'm talking about. Those mm. who don't, they're Powerlifting about to, royalty, Australian yeah. powerlifting royalty. They're about to meet one of our country's very best powerlifting coaches. Mm. And by the end of the conversation, you'll understand why. I was amazed at the uh, the volume of clientele. Like, you think he's working with uh, 150 clients at yeah, the moment. Yeah, he's, he's scaled that back. He scaled it back, yeah. yeah. Couldn't deal with the, the couple of hundred plus, so he just uh, whittled it down to only 150. A very, very intelligent guy and uh, very enjoyable to talk to. Pleasing from my perspective, Rawdon, that he has a lot of uh, interests outside of powerlifting yeah. and the gym yeah, and the fitness f- industry. You uh, found it quite enjoyable and, and uh, such a likable uh, dude, you know, it was, mm. it was awesome. And he actually came in, uh, much the same as uh, Luke Lehman's promise to actually come into the studio, studio. which is yeah. really exciting. He actually... Uh, reached out and said, "Hey, you know, I can come. To, I've, I need to come down to Sydney. You, you want to let me know uh, mm. uh, when?" I mean, we've been wanting to get him on. Obviously, yeah, and he's yeah, like, well, yeah, "If we're going to do it, I'll come into the studio." Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and yeah. I was like, "No, we won't do it on air. We'll, we'll, online, we'll come in and actually squeeze into the uh, into the studio and, and record it uh, in house." So mm. it, was, it was awesome to have, have him in here. Yep, so we'll have Thomas Lilly on very very shortly. Mm. Uh, right, I Rodden before controversy. Yes, Tom. before we get to the meat and nuts of everything on this episode, you asked me today, um, Matt, did you see the social media shitstorm over the weekend? And I looked at you blankly, obviously. Mm. Yeah, because uh, you're, uh, you you make a point of, and, and rightly so, so, not going on social media. Yes. I think there's a lesson to be learned there for, for all of us. For everyone. But a friend of the podcast and uh, a, a good, client of yours uh, yeah, for many and, years. And a friend of yours outside of the program. Very, very true. Yes. Oh, Jesus <laughs> What was that? Sorry, I had to do, had to do a cough. I, oh, right. I was <laughs> professional. <laughs> I what you, do you think I was doing? I thought I was it was sort of a spasm. In high school when you used to swing back on your chair and you'd just lose balance <laughs> yeah. and tip over. Yeah, no. um, but um, James Kant, J- IFBB Pro. IFBB Pro. Australia's first ever IFBB Pro uh-huh. in uh-huh. the... Pro League. Pro League. It was IFBB back then, but Pro yeah. League, yep. JCF, James Kant Fitness. Mm-hmm. He's very active on social media, mm. obviously. He's got a large community that he's built around him, and he's he's always providing content for that community. Yep. He put up a post which attracted the... Ruffled ur. a few feathers. It did. Ruffled a few feathers ruffled internationally. Some, ruffled some feathers and attracted the ear of Lane Norton. By there, Lane. There, I think there were a few others that, that chimed in as well, but, but right. he was the... Uh, the man in charge of the... He led the assault, led the, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> led the, the assault. Led the assault. The, the, the attack over the weekend. He launched the attack. And by actually, just this morning, actually, I was listening to a podcast that mm. he did with uh, Dom D'Agostino uh, on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. Very informative listening, actually. A really yeah. good... Yeah, uh, look, to be honest, I've actually watched uh, some of uh, Lane's... That's it was the, the whole getting my head around the muscle protein synthesis. He, yeah. he, he dumbed it down and I was like, oh. He's very good at thanks. explaining things. Oh, you went to one of your seminars back in the day as well when he was in Australia. I did, I, I did. 
He yep. actually came in and trained at Clean Health a couple of times. We, we admired his horrific squatting technique. <laughs> Super strong, don't get me wrong. Yeah, he, yeah. Like, but it's like a 400 kilo good morning. It's not the prettiest, um, but uh, ridiculously strong. Yeah, so anyway, we thought it was appropriate to... But we, can't uh, do, yeah, we don't want to talk fondly of... Uh, Lane, yeah, no. he's the enemy. I mean, he led the attack, the assault, the assault. on our friend. <laughs> That's what we're here today to uh, clear the air. Okay, so should we read the original <coughs> post? Yeah. Is that where we should? Yeah, well, do you, do you want to read it? Like, I'll uh, read it. Yeah. You're, you're quite good at narrating, but uh, okay. Now, I don't know what he had uh, issues with, but but just so I'm 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 scrolling. I'm I'm Lane Norton. Yeah, I just did some through. squats. They were horrible. <laughs> now I'm sitting on social media and uh, I just scrolled through and and you've seen James Can't IFBB Pro <laughs> Wednesday at 2.59pm. Uh-huh. What's he got to say? Let me have a read. The latest trend in Muppetry oh. is talking about calorie deficit. Uh-huh. So many of these skinny fat potatoes are chirping up and it's quite irritating. First, <laughs> you call me a skinny fat potato, James. That's enough for me to launch the assault, everyone. Assault. assault. <laughs> Attack. Attack. Uh, first, they begin saying a calorie deficit is the only way to lose weight. Then mm-hmm. they pick some hot famous Insta chick and publicly defame her. Mm-hmm. After that good deed is done, they begin bashing anyone who pushes forward a view which is different to theirs. Hello mm-hmm. to all the cringeworthy posts bashing world's strongest man, Eddie Hall, mm-hmm. for endorsing genetic testing. Mm-hmm. That's also something that's been up. Like, right, uh, okay. okay another yeah. controver- He's uh, launching a controversial post with uh, referencing another controversial, controversial post. Right, yeah, that one's uh, think, over yeah. my head as well. Um, but you know the worst part about these people? They're mm-hmm. not even right. Oh. First of all, a calorie deficit controls mass loss, not fat loss. Okay. Mass equals fat, muscle, glycogen, triglyceride. Uh-huh. Fat loss equals fat loss. See the difference. Okay. E- even worse is that they don't understand what underpins the physiological capability to have a calorie deficit. Okay. Your nervous system, digestive system, and hormones. Trying to lose fat, not mass while insulin resistant with a gut which won't absorb nutrients correctly and dealing with no sleep, a load of anxiety, aka any person who lives in loads of stress, gluten, dairy and stimulants, you're not going to have a good time. Please, if you know a Muppet like this, give (laughs) You call me, launch the attack, (laughs) round two. Assault. Attack. (laughs) You call me a Muppet. If you know a Muppet like this, give them a crisp backhand Mm. and tag them in this post. Mm. Yes. A calorie deficit is important, but your health is more important. Important to Rura. And then a photo of uh, James looking uh, muscular and lean on the beach in the sun and mm. uh, loving Getting life. Getting some vitamin D. Now, look, certainly there is, uh, there's an element to that post which is... Hey, you got to look through my photos. Put the phone down. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Look at that. <laughs> look at the Look at that. The dangle on that, would you? Holy moly. <laughs> anyway. Uh, a serious topic. Come on, back. But the, the attack's been launched. Been we, we've, got a, we've got to. Uh, we've got to. We've got to stand guard. Yes. Right, what's happening? What's your spin on it? Well, look, the post initially is a little bit inflammatory. Uh, it's, it's weird. It's so out of character for James. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he's not known for making posts like that. No. It's, so, it's, look, but yeah, no. Look, he's he's known for if you're going to take his foot in the sand and yeah. uh, line in the sand, and it's like boom, this is my stance. Yep. Uh, you know, pretty harmless sort of. Uh, you know, Muppets and I mean it's, it's humorous mm, like uh, mm. I could see how it could offend some for sure so I can see the uh, if you put up a post like that then you know you might attract a bit of something back but mm-hmm. um, what occurred there after that yeah. post was what it got quite vicious apparently yeah I think it um, I mean Lane put a, a story on his I got sent it from a few people uh, on his Insta story and ranted and um, 
you know, sort of pointed out that uh, James wasn't right and calories in, calories out are pretty much um, the be all and end all. And um, and look, I, I'm not going to, I can't remember it word for word, but it was, yeah, quite an, an aggressive, heated uh, Insta story from, from Lane. And mm-hmm. um, obviously he was pretty fired up and I think a lot of people tagged him in it. And then there was a, a lot of, I think, Lane, oh, I don't know if they were Lane supporters or not, but a lot of people seem to jump on the bandwagon and um, throw quite a lot of uh, insults and uh, mm. hate, hate towards... Uh, and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, yeah. it was quite uh, quite vicious, like you said. It wasn't uh, what is an open debate or, or some humour. You know, they weren't saying called Muppets and stuff like this. It was it was quite derogatory, I think. And um, I don't know the full details, and nor do I want to know the full details, yeah. but, but that was the gist of it. And uh, James put a post up on his... Uh, James Cowan Fitness page and said, you know, that basically said he's been quite uh, taken aback and it uh, was nothing short of bullying. And um, I think for his missus and, and it wasn't just him that it was directed at, it was sort of uh, there were a few people that, that uh, copped the brunt of mm. this, uh, this this assault yes. you know, at the end of the day, this <laughs> attack. So, yeah, I mean, that that, that was the thing that, that sort of got him, uh, like caught him by surprise. It was yeah. just sort of like... Let's engage in debate and and put your point. I'll put mine, and and we can win do all that. And there was sort of calling him out with his uh, degree and and various things. So there was, it seemed to have personal overtones. It wasn't just uh, the, the 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 facts just weren't discussed. There were there were other facts that were mm. sort of thrown around that, that probably weren't that appropriate to be um, all thrown into the mix. You know, yeah. stick to the task at hand. You know. Well, look, I mean, it would be very entertaining to see James and Lane actually have a, have proper, a fight have a, <laughs> have a fight yeah it'd be great <laughs> attack each other uh, yeah to actually have a deadlift a pro- off at 20 paces a proper discussion about the ins and outs of their two perspectives i think that it would be very illuminating for uh, everyone involved but it's yeah. just it's funny this thing the ability that social media has for people to just get really nasty and personal yeah uh, from a distance from a distance yeah, yeah. and and you know uh, I'd hate to say that it's uh, typical of the industry, but yeah, eh, it's typical of the industry, of is, and, and yeah. probably one of the reasons why you like to keep mm. your head in the sand and, uh, and and not, you know, check. I think you do it what once a month. You get on there and uh, yeah, accept any friend requests. Well, some you <laughs> well, won't. Some, yeah, some I do. Some, some I don't. You know, yeah, some people you uh, you resist. Yeah. You know, fight the urge, but uh, and rightly so. But mm. that aside, I guess that's that's our comments on it. I mean, yep. it sounds much to do about nothing. And Open that up again. Let's go through it and see what we. <coughs> well, I think also think um, you know at the end of the day they probably both got some more likes and exposure and followers. So yeah. all's well that ends well, you know. Yep. But uh, not that I'm condoning what actually transpired and uh you know the 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 viciousness and yes. the attacks and all that sort of stuff i mean i think it's pretty petty okay first they begin saying uh, first there was a mention of a muppet what do yep, we think yeah, of that point? So, sorry uh these skinny fat potatoes are chirping up and it's quite irritating uh muppetry muppetry, muppetry i think is a nice word mm, conjures sort of Im- images you know like like a sock or something going hello that's what i'm thinking calories of. in calories out matter <laughs> you know something like that yeah. so that, that's the first thing where you probably could, you could attack just on those grounds yep that's true so that's warranted. Okay. So, so okay. that's warranted all right skinny fat potatoes <coughs> yeah i think that's uh, fisticuffs 20 paces parking lot yeah 20 paces sorted out right uh, a calorie deficit is the only way to lose weight now i mean so you said lose weight there yes mm, yes tricky certainly you won't lose weight if you're not in a calorie deficit, ah. so it's a requirement to mm. lose weight. Yes, I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, what you're suggesting if you uh, if you're in a surplus, you may, well, what about like refeed periods where you go into a surplus and 
body comp shifts and you lose water weight. Hmm? Yeah, okay, all right. Well, maybe James was onto something there. there. Hmm? Okay, okay. I mean, if you look at these things acutely or big picture, <laughs> yeah. then it, then it yeah. becomes interesting as Acute well. Acute or chronic. So, I um, mean, I guess we can't really go fisty cuffs on that one. No. No, okay. Well, the fight's already stopped. We've just threw a few punches now. We've backed off. Yeah. We're just looking at it. We're just sort of Cam's, going around in a circle. Cam's got his arm around me, just holding yeah. me back at the moment. And I'm just sort of like, the arm's just spinning around <laughs> out in front. If you get in my way, <laughs> yeah. these punches, I'm not going to move. <laughs> We're not fighting just right. yet. Then they pick some uh, hot, famous Insta chick and publicly defame her. No, they, they get a pass out, those chicks. They're yeah. hot. No dramas. Right, then there's the Eddie Hawk. We won't worry about that. Okay, yeah, really here we go. Let's Eddie get Hawk to the meat and nuts. So first of all, a calorie deficit controls mass loss, not fat loss. Well, mass loss, weight loss I would have put in there, yeah. not fat loss. weight loss. So we've kind of addressed that. So mass equals fat, muscle, glycogen, triglyceride. Yeah. I guess that's true. Bone, skin, hair, everything. nails. Everything. Right. Fat loss equals fat loss. So there is a difference between fat loss and mass loss. Definitely. So we'll take that. Okay. And the flip side there is you could be dieting and, and not see changes in scale weight, yet fat loss is still occurring. So yes. the reverse can be true as well. Yes. It's magnificent when that happens. Yeah. Rarely that it does. The word of the day, Cam. Make a note. Magnificent. magnificent. I thought it was muppetry. Anyway. Magnificent muppetry. Uh, they don't ooh, They don't understand what underpins the physiological capability to have a calorie deficit. Your okay. nervous system, digestive system, and hormones. So he's sort of suggesting that they're all involved? I guess an example of that would be you uh, live in a deficit for a certain amount of time and mm-hmm. the metabolic adaptations to that deficit will ultimately bring it around to actually not being a deficit, otherwise you would die. So the nervous system reducing muscle tone at rest. And, yeah, yeah. And kind I of think stuff. he's also pointing out that they're all involved for healthy fat loss as well, like the, the, yep. the catecholamines, adrenaline, you know, mobilizing fatty acids, yep. the cortisol involved, um, gro- growth hormone, the, di- the G-banger involved. The G-banger, the digestive system. I think when we actually had him on the podcast, he did make reference to, you know, if you have, uh, say, loose stools and poor absorption, then mm. calories that might otherwise be absorbed through the Straight digestive through. process... <laughs> Straight through the other side, and conversely, if you have very sluggish transit time, it's extract in the, a little it more. can extract more calories from mm. it. So, well, what is best, to slow or fast? That's so, the question, yeah, I suppose. I guess, uh, unanswered that question, but look, I mean, I, I certainly think that those things play a role for sure. Like I'd sign off on yeah. on those things being relevant. Now, do they supersede a, a calorie deficit? He hasn't actually said that there, has no, he? No, he hasn't said that. He just say they impact. Um, said they underpins didn't. physiological capability to have a calorie deficit. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah so polywaffle there. Yeah. Degree, his degree <laughs> of, in polywaffle came out a little bit with that one. I'm yeah. quite impressed because that's sort of confusing. I get I get what he means, but it was yeah. a little confusing. But yep. Okay. okay. So we're, not, we're we're still just circling. Cam's still just holding your arms. Yeah. And we're, yeah. We're not, I haven't zonked you in the nose yet. No, okay. No, we just got the dukes up. Okay. So trying to lose fat, not mass, while insulin resistant, with a gut which won't absorb nutrients correctly, and dealing with no sleep slash anxiety you're not going to have a good time. And so good time meaning fat loss. You're not going to get your fat effective loss. Effective fat loss. Yeah. It, well, he's not clear there, but let's assume that's what he's uh, saying there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was his insulin resistance. And I think that was one of the points that uh, Lane actually made through a study saying, well, these, these guys were insulin resistant and they actually got better fat loss. So yeah. that didn't seem to be a game changer. Mm. That was, I, I do recall that was one of the points he made. So that might... Yeah. 
um you know and you could also argue that uh yeah but in a calorie deficit they're going to uh ultimately lose fat and then they become less insulin resistant and you know it's yes. sort of like how do you and how do you like they might be right now but yeah guess what create a calorie deficit and they they won't be soon enough in time mm. so that one's uh, i mean certainly if you are insulin resistant and you've got poor gut health and you're very stressed and anxious then it can obviously make the fat loss process a little more challenging di- challenging i understand yeah. and, and and okay and this is the thing with research studies that's sort of like okay well that group showed that their fat loss was fine what about another group they had different lifestyle and they were you mm. know they trained differently or they're a little bit older or like you know what i mean like yes. it's like yeah we can use that as an example but it like is that absolute this is well 100 percent boom this is all that matters yeah. so i think that's where james stands a lot of these things it's not like you can't lose fat being in some resistant mm. but it's uh but it may well make the process a little harder okay and then he finishes with, please, if you know a Muppet like this, give them a crisp backhand and tag them oh, that's in this it. post. That's so it, Cam. That, Let him go. Let him go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Round and one. That's, on. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Fine. So, <laughs> we got the crowd in the <laughs> background. It's going wild. Nice work, Cam. Yeah. Uh, real time. So, so, so he's, what he's you, asking someone to get, uh, if you know someone who's posting those things, tag them in this post and give them a backhand. It's inflammatory. Yeah. It, it's so asking. that might have what sealed the deal. Yeah. See, Lane was just, he was just flicking through. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, don't, I don't know, James. You're not a bad lad. But then he's read the last bit. bit. Boom. Maybe this is a stitch up. Maybe James and Lane Norton have been in yeah. contact behind the scenes and say, mate, let's have a massive wild public yeah. call. Yeah, it's like, how's your social media? Yeah. Now nah, my likes are down. Now, yeah, right. Well, oh, I've got an idea. These, these Facebook algorithms are mm. causing havoc. Let's start a public feud. Yeah, right. okay, hold on. Round one. Let's go. We're away. All right. All right, well, so what's the take-home point there? Um, I think we could both say that, well, both camps were right, really. That's the under the bar way, Rudin. We yeah, we, we sit, sit on the, fe- on the we're, fence. We're, we're Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. We're Switzerland. We're neutral ground, neutral, neutral territory. Ground. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not going here nor there. All I know is there should be a fight. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. With someone else other than us. We'll be back behind the leg press exactly. as we always are. And we won't watch it because it's too violent. <laughs> we'll encourage. Yep, okay. Well, there we do. I think what we can take out of that is uh, less time spent on social media, yes. the better. Um, be cool to just explore that uh, a little. We'll start officially in a second. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. All right. All right. Well, Cam will uh, do what he does. Uh, just a sting will do us, mate. Sting, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Cam. A sting? What's a sting? Yep, that's what a sting is. Uh, Thomas Lilly, who uh, those who do know or mm. in the know would know yeah, that uh, he's one of the country's most highly regarded powerlifting coaches. Yes, arguably a, a, a strong mofo in his own right as well. I think he's got some decent numbers, but we'll probably uh, pester. I'll pester him. You, hey man, what do you squat, deadlift, and bench? You know, I know he's been dealing with a few injuries, so maybe we can talk through that. But yeah, we've got him in in house in in the studio. Now I will say also that uh, we have. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe you're not uh, goat status just yet, but we have actually had powerlifting royalty sit right where you were. We had uh, Eddie Ed Cohen in here uh, back in the day, and we interviewed Ed. So uh, big shoes to fill. That's definitely goat status. I'm, I'm <laughs> not feeling that. Great. Big shoes to fill, big gloves to fill. Yeah. Mate. yeah it's huge chance. Huge chance. And I will say, Ed did comment on my calves. He said, mate, you're great calves. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Should have got him to sign one. Yes. Yeah. 
Thanks for your time, Thomas, and, no uh, and thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. As we like to do, uh, get a bit of an intro and an overview as to how you got to where you are. Obviously, you own your own facility up there in the Gold Coast. Um, P- PCT. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. He runs a P- bit of PCT T- out of C- PTC. <laughs> yeah, uh, podcast joke. Yeah, so how did you get started in the industry, mate, and, and work your way through it? Uh, so uh, before I was, I've been powerlifting for about 12 years. So I was already in the sport mm. uh, about six years into that. So six years ago, I was working. How, how old are you now, mate? I'm 29. Yeah. yeah. So it started when I was about 17. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I was lifting weights before that, but really found powerlifting and started going down that road when I was about 17, 18. And, and that was actually before it was cool, cool. Like yes. powerlifting back then, that was because yes. you loved powerlifting. Not yeah. It be cool. There was no raw then. Yeah, right. There was no such thing as a raw division. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, working for the government as a community nutritionist, uh, and in Queensland the government changed, a uh, new government came in, and they basically axed that entire workforce. So okay. I was offered a job in the country about nine hours out west. Uh, I didn't want to do that, so I was just like, hey, I'll open a gym. I like powerlifting. I'm going to go down that road. And I just kind of thrust myself into that world. Yeah. Cool. What's community nutrition involved, mate? Uh, so community nutrition, what I was doing primarily was more around research-based stuff. So we were taking uh, government initiatives and then applying it to specific at-risk populations. Right. So everyone's heard of like the go for two and buy vegetables. For a while there was, there was that big blue man, the swap it, don't stop it guy. All those little government initiatives that you see pop up that everyone thinks doesn't work and doesn't do anything. We were taking that stuff. And uh, my work primarily was with Pacific Islanders. So applying that stuff to Pacific Islander communities, empowering them to take intervention and lead in, in local communities. And the work was really, really successful. You probably could have cherry-picked a few powerlifters amongst that uh, <laughs> yeah. community. There well. are some large human beings <laughs> uh, in those communities. Uh, Odell, yeah. uh, Odell, mate, you might have got your hands on him back in the day. Yeah. Now, you have done a health science degree as well. So was that prior to your work in the government? Yes. Yeah. So I did a health science degree majoring in nutrition and an honours in public health. I also did two research scholarships through that. Uh, and uh, basically, I didn't apply for a job. I did my placement. They were impressed with how I was, and I, I, they made a, a space for me, and I started working for Queensland Health. Right. Clearly someone uh, reputable in the uh, studio today, Tom. Yeah, you very know, much some, so. Some, very some much so. degrees and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so what does a health science degree involve? It sounds, it sounds long. There may be a few years involved in that one, Tommy. Yeah, yeah three to four years, depending uh-huh. on which major you, you decide to go down. Health science, uh, as a as a base to degree is pretty broad like a lot of the early facets of it lead into nursing or nutrition or public health so it depends what you major in because i was majoring in nutrition it was a lot of chemistry bio biochemistry Ooh, cool and stuff. food science stuff mm. when you were doing that obviously you would have had several years of powerlifting training under your belt at that point did it get you thinking about physiology the human body nutrition were you marrying the two at that point in your life I'd really love to say yes, but the honest answer is not really. Really? Back then especially, I had no interest in dietetics, which is why I didn't go down that road. So the difference in dietetics and nutrition uh, at a university level uh, is that dietetics is really focusing on that medical nutrition therapy, the one-on-one specific disease uh, yeah. that's individual to people and how you can use diet to manage that, whereas community nutrition is more focusing on global public health that's influenced by nutrition. Mm. Um so at the moment, I sit on a uh, curriculum advisory board for dietetics in Queensland. Uh, so have a lot of influence of the whole panel, not me individually, have a lot of influence about what's being taught. So it's good to have uh, that input as well. But Interesting. I just don't, I, I didn't at the time have any real interest in individual dietetic stuff. 
I mean, you, you, just to pause there for a second, I mean, you, you said you have some influence with the others on, on what's taught uh, nutrition um, practices and philosophies. I mean, that's uh, in the industry, it's often, uh, you know, shroud with, oh, the food pyramid, it's still saying, you know, eat, you know, tiny bit of fat and, you know, lots of carbs and, you know, a billion vegetables and fruits and all this type of stuff. I mean, some of the, the nutritional foundation uh, foundation nutritional concepts are a little dated these days. Are you uh, bothered to sort of try and influence, you know, that maybe, you know, fat isn't all that bad and, and all yeah, that type of I stuff? Yeah, I mean, like. I would actually argue that point a little bit. I think people's perception of what's really out there is a little bit influenced by things that say, oh, the food pyramid says this, whereas the food mm. pyramid is something from like 1992 that stopped being used uh, many, yeah, many yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah, you true. know? And, uh, uh, the 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 data that's put out there for the general population is actually pretty good data for the yeah. general population. It's just because you guys are so in the know on all of this stuff and yeah. so technical because you're so used to working with a defined population is that you know the average person if they can eat a little bit more like what the government says to eat, 100%. Yeah. you know they're, they're probably going to be better Look, off. It, it's it's funny you do say that, and and like my actual philosophy, you know, if you caught me five years ago, then I would probably jump on that bandwagon and say, oh yeah, you know, carbs, we abuse too many carbohydrates, and you know, yada yada yada. But uh, you know, the reality is, yeah, if we do control our fat intake, we're probably going to lose body fat, and you know, energy balance, and you know, we can't actually eat carbs. That's fine, having them at the bottom of the pyramid. So I would completely agree, and if uh, you know, if the majority did actually adhere to the, the, the food pyramid guidelines and, and didn't, you know, kept processed foods to, to a minimum, yeah, I think we would be a far healthier population. So I completely agree with the point you made. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's without opening a whole new can of worms, it's such an interesting perspective being so influenced by the world in which we live, as yeah. in the fitness industry. Uh, it kind of sets our blinders on into the reality of what's happening out there. Mm. And it's perception well, think- that everyone's just knows nothing. And I get this all the time. And, and I often hear it with uh, colleagues that I talk to. They sort of, uh, they refer to other coaches. And, and I won't name big, you know, industry uh, gyms. But they're like, oh, you know, the coaches there don't even know what energy balance is. And I'm like, really? Uh, I think, you know, the, the, the base level of knowledge is, is reasonable mm. out there. I think it's this assumption that, that no one knows anything and... and we're, you know, we know all these cool stuff and, you know, it's, it's uh, probably not actually a reality. The other thing I would say is that more broadly, if we actually wanted the whole population to eat the way we do and the amount of protein that we do, there's probably not enough cows in the world to <laughs> yeah. actually feed everyone. The other thing to consider, right, because when I, when I was 18, between 18 and 20, I actually wrote a book on, this, on the subject. So I started, I started doing nutrition. Very I was cool. like, I'm going to change the world, right? <laughs> I came from a very, I was a very, very obese kid, right? So I had a big, that's how I found nutrition and training and all that sort of stuff is right. I started taking an interest in my own health. And I, when I was 18, I so strongly believed that education was the problem, that people were fat because they didn't know how to not get fat, right? Yeah. And so I wrote this book. Uh, I was trying to get a publishing deal. They said, wait till you're qualified. I actually got a publishing offer and I turned it down because by that time, my philosophy had changed so much. And I realized, well, education is not the problem. You talk to any of these people walking past here, any of the obese ones, be like, do you know what good eating is? Do you know what bad eating is? And they've probably, they've probably got a pretty good handle, you know? Yeah. And like consider every single fast food place, every single food place almost nowadays is listing t- kilojoules next to the thing. Exactly. Like understanding how much is in, that's just a number. No, yeah. Like that, having more of that education out there 
hasn't actually influenced things in a positive way yeah. for the average population, you know. Mm. Yeah. But that's again, that's kind of getting way. That's off a track. can of worms. That is a can of worms. Thing. Maybe maybe we'll have to get him back on at another time because we got some cool topics we're going to run through today. But yeah, but I like where this is going. Maybe uh, food for thought for another conversation. Maybe. Well, we'll stick somewhat on the general population side of things before we move more deeply into pure powerlifting. But we we spoke briefly before we came to air, Thomas, about. I guess a growing trend of general population clients or people who use the modality of powerlifting as their primary tool, although they're not going to compete or actually be powerlifters. You so your perspective is using powerlifting the three lifts and, and the associated exercises to yep. their basis of their training just for health. And, just for health and, and, and body composition and, yeah. and whatever else. When you open up your facility, you sort of dabbled with working with that market but then found yourself going back towards your your primary skill set which is the detail of elite powerlifting. Yeah, I think uh, uh, maybe I didn't paint the picture completely before. I actually started off in the gym as like, this is a powerlifting gym on the yeah. Gold Coast because it didn't really exist. Credit to a guy called Ben Polk who had a small club beforehand that ended up closing down. And, yeah. uh, but he, he sort of was starting to put some feelers out for powerlifting on the Gold Coast, but it wasn't really until we came along and started promoting it that powerlifting started to grow. The first 18 months, I was like, we are a powerlifting gym. That is our identity. And the gym was... Arms folded at the front of the gym. Powerlifting, no. Yeah. Can we come in? We're going to do cross. No. no. <laughs> yeah. The, the gym was terrible. It didn't grow. It, we, by 18 months, I think I had about 20 members. Mm. Uh, and at, at that point, you know, I was like, why am I marketing a something to a market that doesn't exist? You can't market powerlifting <laughs> to powerlifters. Like, you have all the powerlifters already. If yeah. you're trying to grow it, all the powerlifters are with you. Yeah. Right? So then I switched into more generalized stuff and sports performance and all that sort of stuff. The gym grew. And then when I tried to, then a couple of years down the track, got a staff member on board, started to try and think about taking that to the next level and reaching out to those markets and chasing that kind of group style training and yep. using strength as a modality for the, the average, uh, the general population, trying to grow the gym in that way. I discovered that A, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. B, I wasn't good at it and it was just becoming time consuming. So now we've kind of changed the identity back to being, okay, we have a reputation of being the strongest. We will absolutely accept anyone who's not into powerlifting. Powerlifting is not the be all and end all. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, now we've got such a strong community of lifters, as in strong cohesively, not necessarily, and physically as well. Mm -hmm. um, that we're, we're happy to stay a, a club sort of atmosphere and we don't need to reach out and try and push to, to grow that market. You're, the business is so sustainable through the online plus what we already have in the gym that you know, I've, I've decided to walk away from pushing down that road so much. Mm. Very cool. And um, just to elaborate on that point, I, I'm just curious um, on a personal level, do you have, is it just you writing the, 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 the programming and stuff or there are, do you have others that work alongside of you? Like is it just you or is there... There's so, there many Thomas Lilies out there sort of... Doo -doo -doo. Not quite, not quite, but we, we may be getting there. So uh, the gym is PTC Gold Coast. My online identity has switched into what's on my shirt, so zero, which is zero weakness. Uh, and eventually the gym's going to be branded under that as well. So under zero, the problem was is PTC Gold Coast with Thomas Lilly as the coach. I'm limited to my own capacity. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. So now I've, I've hired an employee. His name's Ricky Chiroki. Fantastic powerlifter, young guy, really smart. He's really good at coaching as well. Uh, I write all the programs. He works for me, so the people that are getting coached by him are getting coached by him. Yep. I'd overcheck all his work, so I'll never be the kind of guy where you think you're being coached by Thomas Lilly, but someone else is writing yeah, the program yep, and yep, sending yep. it through. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll never, ever, ever do that. Yep. So I have a handle of all of my lifters. I'm doing all of their programming. For Ricky, I write his programs. Uh, he modifies them, and then I'll check over them. So it's still very 
modulated cool. at the moment. As it grows, I'll develop more strategies and systems or have Ricky be next level Thomas to overlook other people and yeah. And how many uh, athletes have you got on the books at the moment that you're actually hands-on working with? So I've reduced my workload from about 220 to around maybe 150. Whoa. So Ricky's caught a lot of that. So that includes all the people in the gym and that's in varying capacities. So that's not all yeah. 100% weekly check-ins. Yep, 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 yep. That's a lot yep. of people. Yep. But it, it's a, it is a quite a large workload and I've got some good systems in place and I'll keep reducing that um, as Ricky's business starts to grow and I'm moving a lot more into coaching and mentoring. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but, uh, right now around 150. Because that, that would make sense. I mean, you, Tom's never on social media, but but I'll see a, a powerlifting event somewhere and then, then then you'll be tagged. And thanks to Coach Thomas, you know, pop up. Hey, he's, oh, another one. He's coaching. Oh, another one. So I do see a lot of influence around, certainly around Australia. Like it, mm-hmm. you, you seem to be coaching quite a few out there mm. absolutely awesome and and you're are you at a point where your education from a programming perspective is is pretty profound and 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 you're confident with that skill set like what education wise do you sort of uh, find yourself um doing these days do, do you uh men- mentoring with anyone yourself or where where where, where do you still see your knowledge improving to be a, a better coach at, at what you do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I recently went to the States and got a bunch of mentoring from some people over there. Actually, Jordan Chellos, who you've had on the yeah, show yeah, a yeah. bunch of times. I spent some yeah, time with him. Awesome. I uh, spent some time with Chad Wesley-Smith, with uh, Dr. Quinn Hennock. He's a physio over there. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with a lot of people who I reach out to for information. Locally on the Gold Coast, I've got some really, really good uh uh, good access to people who are much smarter than me in terms of biomechanics and movement. Yep. That's where my coaching really shines. So the more I uh, learn about that, uh, I feel the, the better my coaching gets. Right. So I've got a guy who's uh, got a PhD in hamstring injury for prevention, and he's just a he's just a genius. I don't know yeah. how else to describe him. The physio that works and trains out of my gym uh, is again a, a fantastic mind. Has a lot of uh, has a lot of brains in him. And uh, next year, I'm starting a Masters of High Performance Sport under the recommendation of those two guys I just mentioned. So mm. hopefully that's going to help education. I went to a... when they, We had the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. Uh, that PhD guy, he invited me along to a, a symposium on <laughs> hamstring stuff. Awesome. And just drawing some things that... Uh, I was practicing in my coaching that I didn't know I was practicing. Like, yeah. under, you, you know, when you Method learn something, madness. yeah, and you're like, hey, that confirms what I've been doing all along. Uh, oh, I cool. just feel like if I'm going to continue to grow and I want to work towards having the kind of influence that I want to have, I need to go back and do some study and uh, awesome. continue to grow in that. Because I, I don't know if I should say this on air, but I don't have any formal qualifications in any sort of fitness stuff. I did yeah. exercise physiology as an elective in my uni degree. I don't have a personal training certificate or a ASCA level one sport, the strength and conditioning. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, if someone was to come to you, what would be the, what's your thing? You've just kind of said it then. So with so many online clients, because I imagine like any other sport, powerlifting is something where, yes, there are fundamentals to each lift, but each athlete will present their own yeah. biomechanics, their own leverages, their own preferences, Injuries. the psychology. So you have to work within the parameters that you know work, but let the athlete be, it's, it's athlete, have their own lifting technique. So mm-hmm. how do you sort of merge that with such a high volume of online clients? Yeah, and being and, online, yeah. yeah. Videos and... Yeah, yeah, so the online clients send videos and, and that's the customization of coaching. I love, 
It's, it's such an interesting thing hearing people talking about customized programs. You need a program that's designed for you. We all do squat, we all do bench, we yeah. all do deadlift. Yeah. From a technical standpoint, so the, the way that my coaching philosophy, if I had to lay it out, actually works, it's how, how do we move? What's my definition of what a good squat is, what a good bench press is, what a good deadlift is, right? Yep. That's gonna determine the kind of exercises that I program. That's gonna determine the kind of stability work. That's gonna determine the kind of cues I get them. You know, I, I look at myself like a McDonald's. You go to McDonald's and you order a Big Mac, you know what you're getting, right? Uh -huh. If you come to me for coaching, I want you to have a good idea of what product you are buying off me and what yes. product you're buying off me is a stronger, safer, more efficient style of squatting, benching, deadlifting, yeah. right? So the more, uh, the more confident you get in your ability to uh, deliver that, to yeah. have an understanding of what a squat is, what a bench is, what a deadlift is, then you can start to work with people of all different shapes and sizes and work towards that goal because like I said if we're all doing squats there are certain rules that apply to everyone it's just those yes. little individual nuances that's where the customization that's when the individuality of coaching comes is is how do I take Tommy and make him squat under the same rule set as Rodin even though you both built differently have different sporting backgrounds have different injuries histories yes. whatever mm. yeah very really cool. cool. Well, I mean, one of the things that I was keen to get into is um, some of the accessory work, and you sort of alluded to it then, Thomas. Also, mentioning that you've been working with Dr. Jordan Shallow. Oh, yeah. And, now, uh, he's a genius, that dude. He is next level as well. And some of the interesting stuff he, he sort of said off air was, you know, he does feel that a lot of powerlifters leave a lot on the table in terms yeah. of hypertrophy work and just muscle mass and the amount of volume they're doing with their uh, accessory work so mm -hmm. can we start with maybe your philosophy on accessory work and then maybe we can work into a few little examples of so you, your definition of accessory work is the work done outside of the, the primary threes. lift of the, of the workout the goal of yeah. the accessory work yeah. correct all right so if I'm coaching a powerlifter, right? My number one goal, what is it? Improve their squat, improve their bench press, improve their deadlift, right? Yep. So first and foremost, you've got a squat and you've got a squat, right? You can have a really good squat and a really bad squat side by side. My job is to first cue them into the right positions in their actual squatting. That's gonna be the most specific exercise that I can do. So from accessory work from there, it's A, if they don't have the prerequisite stability and movement to get into those positions, we need to be focusing on that stability and movement stuff. So that's yes. gonna kind of go across the board when it comes to accessory work. When we're talking flat out accessory work, uh, it's kind of in tiers. So your secondary, tertiary, quaternary, whatever the four word is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tiers of accessory you work. You would have learned yeah. that in set three, four if you had done it. You yeah. Know, those yeah. Things, you know? yeah. That's the type of stuff you're missing, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, That's why my practice is so terrible. <laughs> I could have 400 clients for yeah. one so bad. Yeah. Um, uh, so, the, you know, it, it's an, I, I base it in order of specificity. This yeah. is assuming that we're working towards, say, a, a, a competition at the end of it. So, yeah. you know, uh, for example, a squat, the most specific exercise to that squat besides a perfect squat is going to be like a poor squat. So exactly the same, adding a slight variation to that. Mm -hmm. And then we break it down in terms of movements. So looking at each lift as a system, because a squat's not a leg exercise, it's an everything exercise, right? Yep. Within that system, uh, we can take parts out and focus on those parts of the system based in order yes. of importance, right? So any sort of uh, hip hinging, hip extension kind of exercise, that's relative to what you do in a squat or a deadlift, like a good morning, like a Romanian deadlift, like mm. a deficit deadlift, you know, that would be the next. And then we start to break it down into more isolated movements, uh, and then, of course, the, the stability stuff kind of overarches all of that. So you'd be looking at, at, at the squat. You'd see them, you know, they tip forward. They come out of the hole. The hips shoot up first. Okay, 
something's not firing correctly and you'd let that influence, okay, we need to develop, you know, glute strength. So we're going to have, you know, uh, hip extension is going to be, we're going to focus on that. So you would, you would sort of look at where you're starting at first and that would influence the accessory work thereafter. Yes, kind of. So, you know, if you can look at a, you can look at a squat and see a breakdown like that happen, right? Say hips shoot back, they fall forward. You, you could approach it from a, d- a bunch of different angles depending on what your individual coaching philosophy is. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if your hips are shooting back, to me that says hips are letting go, quads are taking over, quads are, you know, driving that knee extension, hips are shooting back, you're falling forward with it. You can't just say, okay, well, that's weak glutes. Because in a squat, generally, the glutes are going to be the strongest part of the system. Yeah. However, if we can't put you in the position and stabilize in the position to the point where they can do their job in the most effective manner, yeah. then we've got an issue. So it's really easy to look at a squat and say, okay, they've got weak abs, they can't brace, train abs, and have no carryover whatsoever, which yeah. is why yes. we have to take this kind of systematic movement-based approach yeah. rather than individual weakness-based mm. approach. Uh, that's awesome. And, and I'll just jump in there, Tommy, because uh, that's uh, Jordan. I mean, obviously, you mentioned Dr. Jordan Shallow, and we've had him on here, and we'll keep milk that guy and we might milk you for uh, episodes to come as well and uh, now I hear you uh, break things down but one of his things is you know I, I was I sent him a uh, you know a pic of, of someone doing a, a, a glute bridge with uh, with bands around the knees and I sort of said now tell me this is this is not cool and he said well look they're a, they're a uh, physique competitor you know a, a female physique competitor so it makes sense that they're, they're training the the action of the abductor so they've got the band on so they're actually okay it, it, it you know uh, uh, abducts the hips so that makes sense to do that but his philosophy would you know they're not training the the function of the, the, function, the, yeah. the, the yes. abductor so his philosophy would be to i think he, he said things like long stride lunges and, and and a few other things and and his would be well develop the actual ability for the abductor to stabilize the hip and then you could load you know rdls etc cetera, etc cetera, with far more load and that would actually grow them bigger than isolating the action of the actual muscle yes. but he did say from an aesthetic perspective completely get it and it's acceptable but mm-hmm. it's just not his philosophy so it sounds like yours would be you know the actual function of the muscle is, is what you're training rather than like you said isolate the abdom- uh, abdominals go do crunches or abductor do you know uh, leg you know leg uh, raises mm-hmm. to the side or mm-hmm. something like that or banded walks down the, down the runway which is an interesting point because let's say that that stability aspect is the missing link in their squat, which is going to develop better hypertrophy for exactly. that area of the mm. body. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny watching uh, physique or bodybuilders trained like that mm. uh, and using really poor technique on squat bench deadlift uh, if they're using those in their training. Yeah. And from me and my understanding of biomechanics, thinking, shit, you could get so much more Some out of those them. exercises yeah. if you could do them properly. Yeah. Mm. But he did, he did uh, in very Jordan-like fashion, said, look, he, it's acceptable because they're a physique athlete, but just, you know, he, he did it rationalized like you did and said, man, they'll probably get more growth if they did it like this. But, you know, the physique world and <clears throat> some of us live in it, you know, now nah, stick them on leg press, quad, get quad big, leg extension, get quad big, you know, <laughs> keep it simple like that. But, mm. but yeah, I completely, uh, completely get it. That's awesome. So if we think about your system there, mate, so we go stability, uh, and movement at first, then you look at the system of the exercise and take out the little weak parts, work on them, and you can put it all together in a package. How does that information start to translate into a series of exercises or a program structure that can um, start to bring up a lift? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
again, I, I run it generally in order of specificity. So yep. uh, let's say a standard squat day would look like you squat main lift, whatever volume or whatever intensity you're doing for that particular purpose of the program. And obviously, the further we are away from a competition, the less specific that is. So I think we're going to touch on this in a little bit around hypertrophy and how we build that into powerlifting training as well. Mm. I, I agree with this. I think earlier you said, uh, you know, what's the importance of hyper... I think it's hugely important in terms of powerlifting training. Yeah. Uh, so that'll that'll change the structure but let's say we're you know 10 weeks out of a competition we're starting to walk to work towards it it'd be the squat is the priority next up i would do the next most specific thing so for my lifters that's probably going to be a pause squat then uh the third exercise i normally give on a squat day is to build some volume for the deadlift outside the actual deadlift training so a lighter technique focused uh deadlift some sort of deficit deadlift or if they're a sumo lifter some sort of constant tension block pull uh from there it would be you know a system further removed so i generally give them a good morning or a romanian deadlift and then it moves into the either you know uh something like a leg press that's quite far removed or just pure stability and core work from there yeah um so we'll use some of those uh bread and butter quite i heard the leg press in there i, I quite like that selection <laughs> i use a lot of leg press in my athletes but pure stimulate the quads get a bit of growth there that type of thing yeah yeah i mean you can you can get so bogged down in yeah. how to build the best program for me and my lifters uh the more I do this, the more I appreciate that the quality of those secondary tertiary movements is so, so much more important than the quantity, especially at that stage. Because let's say the movement deficit in the main lift is the issue. If you can do an RDL with 150 kilos, but you break technique at 60 kilos, all you're doing is reinforcing those bad movement patterns. And th that reinforcement of the bad movement pattern is going to carry over into the main lift. Uh, I'm a big believer that when you go to max out, your technique under that max is going to be the average of what you've done in training. So the more that you can hit a perfect rep, uh, the more carryover you're going to have when it comes to that top end. And that's really important when you're dealing with high-end powerlifters or any powerlifters for that, for that uh, matter because uh, it creates predictability. It mm. removes volatility when you're under a max weight. It removes that kind of unknown. You can, and it, it helps the psychology around... People are scared of numbers, really scared of numbers. Yeah. Like if you're under 300 yeah. kilos squat yeah, for the dude. first time, yeah. it's, a, it's a scary thing if you focus on the number, if you have more confidence in the movement and it's just a squat because 300 isn't that different to 297.5, but in your head it is, <laughs> mm. you know yeah. what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's about developing that confidence in the movement as well. So I guess there's, um, you write a program and you have the idea of it in your head, you translate that to the page and then that's that. Then they get it and they look at it and their interpretation of it can translate to something else in the gym. You're talking about not they don't have to do their max 150 for their sets of Romanian deadlifts, they have to do this perfectly. So how do you make sure that the purpose from your brain gets into their psyche so they actually train efficiently? So I have a lot of videos on the performance of the exercises mm. and I'll often, uh, if I suspect that they're not being performed well, I'll, I'll request videos. Often in, when you first start with me, I'll request a lot more videos of the that kind of secondary tertiary work until I'm confident that you can do it without me having to watch you every week. Yeah. It's just about keeping a close eye on all that sort of yeah. stuff. It's interesting, Tommy, and, and I guess uh, hearing Thomas explain it like that, it does. I probably should have uh, not been quite so scathing on all the powerlifters at, uh, at the LPC. So I'll be there floating around doing my curls in front of the the posy mirrors uh, you know kato's put for me i'll be doing my <laughs> anyway and all the powerlifters will be get the little video out and they'll be filming their lift it's like guys what another video for social media when in actual fact 
they're probably videos that they're sending to their coaches and <laughs> yeah. I, I've been a bit uh, a bit ruthless with my uh, rolling my eyes and you know making sure I walk in front of the cameras they're, they're doing their lifts you know but uh, yeah I mean that that is probably the only way you would be able to break it down is actually see their movement patterns yeah. and and I guess another thing I, I suppose is actually I dare say your skill set at identifying what the issue is from a video I mean you, you and I could see a video with a squat I'm like mm, yeah, yeah. it's good yeah, yeah it looks yeah. fine <laughs> you, know, you tip forward a little bit but I don't think there's any problems there yeah keep going <laughs> so like uh, one of the guys that we've interviewed on here was uh, IFBB pro uh, bodybuilder Shelby Starnes and, and one of the things he, he can he's like this uh, Jedi Knight of of like he'll see a pick like five minutes apart and it's like oh well, this this you need another you know 100 grams of carbs here and you know, a little bit more water here for for peaking them on on comp day like his ability to interpret from a, a aesthetic perspective like picks is is phenomenal like is uh, like you like your eye you can pick things up whereas you know they might say hey, here's my vid thomas you know it's pretty good again i love it and you're like well yeah. actually it's pretty shit you did this and this and we need to work on this like is that uh, skill uh, developed for you and, you, and you're really good at interpreting that information in the video. You know, and and also on that point, before you elaborate, uh, like uh, the sort of common things that you'll see, so it does get a little bit easier over time. Yeah, definitely a bit of both. So it's a skill over time. I think I probably already had that that eye for detail Decent and that eye, eye for yeah. technique. Uh, early on in the piece but it's definitely a skill that's developed over time so for example training Ricky up you know we'd watch a video side by side and say what's wrong with it yeah. he'd point out maybe two things and then I'd put in, point out another 20 things you know so you yeah. start to see okay that person's foot is two centimeters behind the other foot when you're watching a squat right. from on, front on you can see their wrist is a little bit cocked back on one side cool. and it starts when you understand where that's coming from and why that's happening it starts to give you clues okay that person's shoulder has probably dropped a little bit on that side get a video from the back start to see that stuff and cool. you know you, you just get better and better or better at it over time that's awesome and, and like uh, is it is there a hierarchy as well like you might see what 20 he picked two you picked 20 so there's 22 things ready with that example you gave but it's like yeah there's 22 things but there's the three important things that we need to work on like there must be a yeah I definitely. Mean, you could pick you know you watch me lift you oh my god that's horrific you know but where do you start so there, there'd be some key <laughs> fundamentals you'd probably tackle first and then yeah i mean through. And, and that's the art of coaching right it's being able to d deliver a message to elicit the kind of response that you want to deliver and as you know if, if you if you've sent me a squat video and i write a list of 20 things i can't <laughs> expect you to be thinking about 20 things next time you exactly. squat mm. and so it's how do we build that into a logical thing and how can we get people into positions without them even knowing about it so if your wrist and shoulder is breaking apart and I can say, you know, get your wrist a little bit tighter, then how can I give you an exercise to start to develop that stability? Yes. So, because half the time, uh, there's another, there's lots of layers to the skill of visual identification of stuff. Yeah. Um, and you can see something breaking down. Seeing it isn't enough. Because if you just want a, a visual outcome, you, if someone's knees are caving in and you tell them to push their knees out, if they don't have the prerequisite stability to do that, that's just frustrating. They'll yeah. be thinking knees out and they just can't physically do it, right? Yeah. Mm. So same thing. If you can see someone cueing the right thing, but the, cue, still, yeah. Yeah, but the cue isn't working because they don't have that stability, you don't have to keep saying the same thing over and over. You can you know, keep watching that. They're cueing it. Remind them when they need to. But give, give them, them the, the tools they need yeah. to, for, for that cool. cue to actually work in the lift very cool it's easy to forget that uh, squat bench deadlift of all the training that we do as powerlifters is, is, is the most complex iteration of anything we do so it should be the hardest it should be the hardest to coordinate it should be the hardest to get perfect mm. um, and I think people get a little bit complacent with that technical side of stuff yeah 
talking about that, I mean, we'll get onto the hypertrophy side of things because obviously, uh, you know, strength and power development is is you know heavily you know morpho- morphological size of the individual um, contributing you know uh, levers and all that type of stuff. So we'll get your philosophies on on hypertrophy like we mentioned earlier, but but that technique side of things with the the squat, the the bench, and you know, obviously. Yeah, a little, little more uh, simple than than say Olympic lifting, but but certainly um, technical in their own right. Like, is that a, a massive influence on progression over time? Like, um, or and also like when you see a, a a poor technique, do you know that when those few things are tweaked and fixed, you can get some really nice progression in strength? Like, mm. ha, ha, how big a role does that uh, technique side of things? Uh, play with with continued uh, obviously we know beginners motor 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 learning they can gain you know astronomical uh, feats and strength rather quickly but for the intermediate to advanced have been training a while like how big a role does the the actual technique side of things uh, play in uh, uh, mm-hmm. the numbers going up basically for me and my philosophy and not everyone would agree with this from a coaching standpoint i'd say it's the most paramount thing because for me technique is about what's the strongest way to lift the weight what's the safest way what's the most efficient way yeah. my job as a powerlifting coach is to make you the strongest that you can be right technique is a variable within that yeah. if that uh, if there's if there's a deficit in technique it's going to perpetually hold you back Right, so if we can get your technique quote unquote perfect based on it's a hard thing with powerlifting, yeah. right? It's an arbitrary set of rules. There's no there's no textbook that says this is a squat, this is a bench, this is yes. a deadlift. You can get your technique perfect in my personal opinion, as my coach uh, as uh, from my coaching perspective, then I believe we can maximize the weight you can lift on the bar. So again, how you move, how you solidify everything if I had to kind of define what my perfect technique is, it's where everything's set and solid and working together so the muscles that move the weight can move the weight, right? Yeah. Techniques breaks down when little things let go. Any looseness, any break in the chain in the system is an opportunity for power to leak and to escape, mm. which also opens up the opportunity for inconsistency, inefficiency, and injury, injury. risk, yeah. right? So it's not just about, hey, lift safe and look a certain way. My, my technique or what, what I'm trying to achieve with technique is how can we get you to lift the most weight that you can? Yeah. At its heart, technique is about how can we take the strength that you already have and apply it to a better pattern of movement? Yeah. Now, with that said, there's a big time factor. If you're a 300 kilo squatter and your technique is garbage, but you've developed your strength in that pattern over the last five years, we can't just tweak and expect it to go through the roof. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of trust when lifters come on board with me and yeah. I have to sell it, really sell it to them as, hey, this is going to feel like shit for a while, mm. but stick with me and, and you know, we'll, uh, we'll get you to that next level. Uh, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the good position where I've, you know, developed enough trust with people or people trusted me already enough just because of my reputation where they're willing to step back for a little while. They know that it's going to be best for them. But there's definitely a a bit of a pill to swallow when it comes to that. That said, the more skillful you get as a coach, the more tools you have in your toolkit, the quicker you can progress that. And especially with this understanding of movement and stability, there's a lot of exercise that we can use and also the performance of the uh, accessory exercises. We can really fast track that. I think changing technique must be one of the hardest things to, for an athlete to actually go through. Well, we've almost had a oh, black hole. It's all right. Mate, it's all right. Well it's empty. <laughs> we almost had a coffee everywhere. Um, you know, like, because even when you're doing something, you might make what you think is quite a significant change 
in technique and it feels very different but from the outside looking it's like oh it doesn't look like there's been it's such a subtle shift so to get someone to fundamentally change something that they've been doing for five years is a as you said it's a leap of faith on the athlete's behalf Mm. yeah and it can be very scary and very especially when you determine your self-worth and determine Mm. a lot on what your numbers on the bar are which you'll find a lot i mean you guys know what it's like you find it a lot in this sort of world yeah Yeah, people determine their self-worth by what's in the mirror or what's on the bar yeah uh getting them to uh, the way i sell it you know is uh, when did you start lifting rodden 16 okay when are you gonna stop 116. <laughs> you don't have an. No one has an yeah, end date to their lifting, definitely. right? So time that we can remove that. You know, 16 weeks of working on technique and pulling everything back. That's nothing in your yeah. lifting life, which for you is indefinite, right? Yeah. Mm. So if you can dedicate this time to getting better, so that it reaps or it builds the foundation that's going to build that long-term process, a progress, uh, then why yeah, wouldn't you? It's a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Mm. And and in, in that situation, are you quite prepared? Uh, like. I mean, we, 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 the elephant in the room is your numbers are going to go down. You know, I mean, that's fundamentally what's usually going to happen. Change of technique, those mm. numbers are going to come down. So, like, from where you're sitting, you're like, Ooh, those numbers came down a bit more than what I thought. You know, hopefully we'll get them back up. Or you, you're confident that, that the recommendations you make will, the light at the end of the tunnel is coming? Yeah, well, um, there's some sneaky ways around that. And this kind of segues really nicely into the hypertrophy training, right? Yeah. One problem that powerlifters have is that they train like they're powerlifters. Right, because people think powerlifters—that's what Jordan said too. Yeah. yeah, people think powerlifting is sets of three and five, mm-hmm. one, two, three. Oh, any more than five reps is cardio, right? Yep. Which is absolute rubbish. The more times you're doing three, you, the more time you spend doing three reps or less, the less time you spend getting stronger and better, mm. right? So if someone comes to me with a 300 kilo squat and they're like, "Okay, I want to get better my competitions and." eight weeks i'll be like okay i'll sell it to them as there's not a lot of change we can do right now to your technique we're just going to build you as strong as we can in this uh, with what we've got fix what we can but there's you're not going to see a lot of change however if someone's just coming to me hey i want to get stronger and i'll normally sell it to them as hey we need more time to fix this yeah um i'm going to pull them back anyway percentage wise and generally that percentage falls underneath what their technical max so if you're squat is 300 kilos but your technique falls apart at 220 it's generally going to fall underneath that anyway so they'll be able to hit the numbers that i'm programming they'll be able to maintain that technique change underneath that and by the time they've crept back up to stronger heavier weights their techniques changed anyway mm. and are those stronger heavier weights that you're uh, uh, primarily a product of that that mass that you're building by bringing those numbers down and and giving a a program that's designed to or, or are you still sort of honing technique at that point like what what would be the the main focus in what's going to uh, get that big number bigger at the top yeah i think there's there's not one answer to that like it's just like bodybuilding and and physique sort of training you can't say is it just diet is it just training is it Mm. just programming is it just Mm. posing like they all work together in in a specific way so um it'll be technique and mass that that you muscle mass morphological size that you're trying to bring into the table yeah yeah definitely i I think when we talk about hypertrophy and powerlifting hypertrophy sometimes a misnomer it's it's not exactly the right word i think uh so i give people hypertrophy phases but i tell them that hypertrophy is the name of the phase not necessarily the goal of the phase yes so 
you know, for a lifter that's maxed out their weight classes, we don't really want them to get mu that much bigger. That's However, thing, yeah. those percentages and set ranges, uh, rep ranges, set ranges that are defined under that hypertrophy label, mm. uh, the kind of volumes that are going to give them are going to give them the work capacity so they can do more volume under the heavier weight, which is yes. going to build more strength. Yeah, yes. so they, it's classified as hypertrophy work. That might not necessarily be the goal. Yes. What about cardiovascular training, Thomas? Where does that come into the mix from your side of things? I think it's uh, really, really important. I think it's poo-pooed in powerlifting for no real reason. I think it's just poo-pooed in powerlifting because people think it's cool. Uh, <laughs> it's now a challenge for me to say poo-pooed on this podcast as many times as I can. Um, <laughs> You're doing well. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's actually said poo-pooed. It might be a first, not, mate. Yeah. Yeah, do, we, so. do we have to censor that or is that okay? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's fine. totally fine. Um, I do, uh, you know, in terms of uh, obviously coming from a... A more broad-based health background. I have a big heart for long-term health and looking after yourself. But the fact is, you feel better, you train better, you live yeah. better, and that mm. you need to recognize that there's a life outside of powerlifting. If we're just talking about the benefit that cardiovascular training is going to have to your powerlifting career, um, you know, when you're in a peak, does cardio matter? Well, really, not that much, right? But in general, general health, uh, general performance in the gym, if you've got a bit more work capacity, you're going to do more work in the gym, you're going to get through your workouts faster. Yeah. That's only a benefit. The, the question is, does it detract yeah. from training? And 9 out of 10 times or 99 out of 100 times, no. No. You know, if you're smart with it. If you're on a bike or doing sprints three times a day, of course it's going to impact on yes. your training. It's mm. about understanding how does this uh, affect my recovery, my performance. If it's affecting negatively, I need to pull it back. But some light cardio, going for a walk for an hour a day or half an hour a day yeah. is only going to be a good thing. Well, yeah. let, let's go sideways from there and um, talk about the uh, the nutrition nutritional philosophies that, that typically surrounds powerlifting and uh you know, it's often joked that it's an excuse to get fat and, and just lift heavy shit, which is, you know, perfect well for me. But, but uh, and I've been there. Uh, but, like, what, uh, what are your philosophies with, the, with certainly with the 150 or, or so athletes that you're working with? Is an awareness of body composition something that you instill in them? Or, yeah, talk to me about that. Like, what's your yeah, philosophies yeah, yeah. there? So, I, I have to talk to this generally uh, rather than specifically to my lifters just because, you know, if you come to me as a lifter and you have no interest in dropping body fat or gaining weight or changing weight class, I can only suggest what to yeah, do. Yeah, for sure. You know. um, I think uh, powerlifting having this uh, coming from the mid-2000s and having that attitude as fatter is better and the bigger you are, the more weight you can move is kind of outdated. It's really cool to see some more science and logic and reason around what we do with our body weight in powerlifting. Mm. Um, I think uh, the leaner you are, the more muscle mass you can have, the more active tissue you can have, the yes. more weight you can lift within your weight class. So, yep. And in terms of general health and in terms of just general well-being, being a bit leaner is always going to be a better thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think a big mistake that people make is they're like, is one of the two biggest mistakes I see in powerlifting is people who are outgrowing their weight class. If you start in the 75 kilo weight class <laughs> and you're lifting heavy weights repetitively for years on end, you're going to build some muscle whether you yeah. like it or not. And mm. eventually you can overreach that weight class and then perpetually be holding yourself back to stay in that lower weight class. Mm. So you see people eating at, at a, uh, calories less than what they should be to maintain performance and recovery and yes. ongoing strength development yep. and hold themselves back perpetually. The flip side of that is when people say, okay, well, I've had enough of this weight class. I'm going yeah. seven kilos up and then try and fill it out straight away 
you're not going to gain seven kilos of good mass in 12 weeks. Mm. That's going to take you a couple of years. So when you go up to the next weight class, being at the top of that weight class number-wise is a good thing if you can maintain some sort of leanness. Getting there quickly is not going to help your strength. So, um, Do you think it, it potentially disadvantage it to some degree? Like, uh, yeah, definitely. Like just squatting with that extra five kilos of yeah, fat? I mean, yeah, I'm sure yeah. that would all add up. Yeah, squatting generally feels a bit nicer uh, when you're a little bit fatter. Uh, however, depth, depth can be impeded. Mm. Um, deadlifting usually feels a lot worse. Mm. So the, the quicker your body yeah, changes, the, yeah, yeah. the more you're going to notice all those changes in leverages yeah. and, and oftentimes in a negative way as well. Yeah, Maybe that, that would influence technique a little too. Like Definitely. Just, yeah, put them out of position. They start doing weird things and w- developing mm. weird instabilities, all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's probably a pretty tough sell also, Thomas, like to get someone through that indeterminate zone of going up a weight class in in realistic fashion Mm. what kind of surplus are you looking to create over time to effectively actually do that yeah and and do you also do you throw calories out to your guys like how uh, in depth or is it individual specific do some require a bit more nutritional guidance uh, than others so if if people ask me general nutrition advice I'm always happy to give it with my lifters however you know if they want defined nutrition coaching they pay for that as a service extra not everyone does it right Um, I probably work with maybe 40 clients for nutrition at the moment and not all of them I do their programming for anyway um, how much of a surplus I think if you're getting much higher than sort of 10% uh, consistently you're just going to get too fat too fast yeah. you know? I, I work more in percentages in terms of uh, let's say you're trying to go to the next weight class if they're gaining sort of 0.4 to 0.8% on average per week that's probably a healthy rate of gain. If they're gaining more than that, it's, pr- it's probably too much. They're probably just getting fat. Yeah, it, it's right? interesting because that's the number that uh, uh, Henselman's used for uh, fat loss. Like if you drop scale weight by 0.4 to 0.7 per week, yeah, you're pretty good maintaining muscle mass. Yeah. So, and they yeah, use so much the same in reverse as well yeah. Yeah. for me personally. Yeah. it's Very cool. If, if they're outside of that range, we'll, we'll change something. We'll, we'll pull it back. I think a, a, a trap people get stuck in is they think it's... Uh, uh, they think it's a symbiotic relationship that more is more in both ways. More calories equals more strength. No, you just get fat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And 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 what about uh, we mentioned uh, like cutting weight and all that type of stuff? Do you uh, what are your philosophies there? Do you if if someone is say they they are in that seventy five class and they they you know they're eighty? Do you? Uh, what do you do? You like a, a certain amount above your your category? You, you can let your athletes go to, or we just let the body weight go wherever it goes, and, and you'll throw them in a different category. Surely they they would be planning on doing yeah. certain weight classes. Like how, how what's an acceptable uh, cut for you? Like weight and, and and how far out do you look at? Because surely there must be a, a bit of a, a relationship between cutting calories and performance. Because you got to yeah definitely coming into a meet. We got to keep performance up. Yeah, we have got to drop weight. Like. Or do you do it in the final week, do crazy stuff? Like, what do you what do you like to do? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this depends on the powerlifter and the federation they compete in. Yeah. Uh, in different federations, there's different weigh-ins. So there's 24-hour weigh-ins in some feds, two-hour weigh-ins in other feds. Um, two hours would be brutal, man. <laughs> for, uh, for lifters who are less experienced, who are not going for any sort of records, who, are, who don't need to be in any particular weight class to qualify for anything special, weight cl- the weight cut isn't worth it. It's too yeah. detrimental to performance. Um, even though you can do a good weight cut and not have performance affected at all, it's just not worth. It's just not worth it. It's it's not a good thing to go yeah. through. It's not a healthy thing psychologically. For more experienced lifters that have done weight cuts before, 
I need them or I tell them I want them at their striking range of their weight class at least 12 weeks out. So, so a striking range, what do you mean by that? How, so how? when I say striking range, uh, assuming that we're going to do some sort of a water cut. And yeah. how much are you look? A couple of kilos of the water cut type thing? Or? Again, it's in percentages because, you know, two kilos for a 50 kilo lifter is very different to 140 mm-hmm. kilo lifter, you know. So uh, for a two hour weigh-in, I say 3% uh of the, the they're not allowed to drop more than three percent uh so someone that's 100 to drop down to 97 in, in the last couple of hours water cut yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um i i can do I, you know it's possible to do probably up to five percent and still maintain some performance however the percentage likelihood gets a lot lower uh, and then for 24 hour weigh-ins i'd say Five percent is okay. Seven percent is definitely doable. Ten percent is just overkill. Yeah, and yeah. just it starts getting that category of being dangerous. Um, ever uh, like I hear, you know, fighters and whatnot, aggressive cuts and then IVs to sort of load back up. Ever, mm-hmm. uh, if not yourself, others hear of that going on where they they will sort of intravenously load. Uh, Hydro, uh, fluids back in to, to get the performance back up? Is, yeah. that, is that common in powerlifting? I wouldn't say it's common but uh, it happens, yeah. just because of accessibility more than anything. Yeah. Mm. People do weight cuts they don't have access to a nurse that's willing to do it or a doctor that's willing to do it. Yeah. I've done it personally in uh, 2014 Nationals I tried a 13% weight cut which I will never ever do again <laughs> in my life and would never ever recommend to anyone it just becomes stupid. You know? yeah. It just becomes dangerous. I was not quite as switched on as what I am now so it was a bad decision on my behalf but there was a, there was a room in a hotel room with a nurse and there was probably 10 of us sitting there with yeah, right. our little bags in our arms the question is, is what, what's it, what for what's it worth like if you're an yeah. MMA fighter with a million dollars on the line there's, yeah. there's some worth there if you're mm. a powerlifter at a you know, one of the 500 nationals that we have every year because of all the different federations <laughs> yeah. and there's a $20 silver medal on the line probably not worth a 10% weight cut yeah. and IV bags and all that sort of yeah. stuff Interesting. Yeah, I um, back in uh, Val shall not be named, but back where Tommy and I used to work, I remember our striations. Uh, uh, Andrew, remember uh, he mm. did a, a dude. He, I don't know how much he he had to cut for uh, t- for the class, but he was you know in and out because we had an infrared sauna there, so he was in and out of the sauna, and he like legit looked like he was about to die. And then uh, Alex Lowe, I remember he did uh, mm. went tried to get under nineties, I think, and and he got to. I actually saw him the other day, tiny. You wouldn't recognise him now. It doesn't have anything to do with the yes, industry. Total change of life. Totally change. Life yeah. Uh, he's going to separate story. French Foreign Legion next year, as he does. But, but three hundred grams off, and then uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it looked horrible. Horrible. You mentioned before, Thomas, that uh, a lot of people in the industry define their self worth by a number on the bar or. Damn straight. 185 or bench, 285 <laughs> raw deadlift. <laughs> or what's they, your problem? Or what they see in the mirror. <laughs> And I gather as, uh, as deeply entrenched into the sport as you are, you don't necessarily define yourself by, by those parameters. No, I mean, it's, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I was talking to someone the other day and I mentioned something that I do outside of powerlifting. And they're like, what? What? <laughs> I, I, what? And I, I was like, yeah, what, do, you, do you not think I'm interested in anything other than power? <laughs> what was it? Was it anything? What, what, what would you I was mention? talking about music. I played I play the piano. I was talking about playing the piano. <laughs> Are you seriously? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, but if you go on my social media, it's just powerlifting because that's it's just business for me. I yes. don't put my, my personal life out there. But yeah. you know, outside of you. Yeah, outside of lifting, <laughs> like we're in the gym, what, as a powerlifter, 10 hours a week? Yeah. If you're in the gym for much more than 10 hours a week, you're either probably really deconditioned or just talk too much and text too much. Yes. Mm. Um, you know, there's a life outside of that, which yeah. has a lot more important to us, uh, importance to us than, than our lifting. That's mm. not to say that 
we can't be serious about our lifting. Yeah. But there's a lot more to life than that. And if you're defining yourself by that, you need to find something else. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to discuss that point you made, what about uh, lifestyle outside? Because uh, with physique preparation, obviously, uh, lifestyle and the choices that they make, you know, uh, situations that they put themselves in can obviously be hard for them to be compliant with food, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of temptation there. So lifestyle, you know, sleep and everything else has a massive influence on body composition from a hypertrophy and just fat loss perspective. How much emphasis do you put on the the lifestyle being conducive to? Because you mentioned the the psychology with uh, you know two ninety seven, uh, two two ninety nine point nine you know point five. That's fine, but three hundred. Oh my god, I can't do three hundred. Yeah. This is crazy. I can't do this today, Thomas. No way. Like the psychology with the with the sport. How much do you? Uh, and maybe it, with with that peak week coming into it, do, do do you sort of cue things to help them relax, or is it all mine on the job? Like, what do you do with the the lifestyle and the, and the psychology side of things? Yeah, I, I think it's a time and place thing. And I mean, you guys you guys know all well and good that if someone's in prep mode, twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year, they're just gonna burn themselves out really yeah. really quickly. I think when uh, you know more often than not, it's making people a little bit more serious when they're getting close to a comp. Um, and, you know, as a coach with a lot of lifters and I, I can't speak for what it's like in physique and bodybuilding coaches, but from, from what I know, I've got a guy, Brandon Kempter, that works out of my gym who works yeah, with yeah. a lot of people, you know. He was up at um, our Evil Genius. Yeah, he was. Smart yeah. kid. Smart yeah, kid. yeah, really smart guy. Um, but he's a lot more involved in his clients' lives than what I am. I guess my, my product is a little bit more sterile in terms of it's very technical, it's very numbers, it's very uh, technique, it's very feedback focused, whereas I'm not very entrenched in their actual lives, probably because there's a lot more that happens outside of the gym in a bodybuilding physique yes. uh, sort of situation that impacts what happens on stage sure. than in powerlifting. Um, so it's, that's a hard question to answer. Mm-hmm. Can it be influential, I, I suppose, is, is where I'm going with that one. Do you find that, um, you know, someone, you know, I mean, to, to use a demographic that Tommy and I refer to, you know, the, the, the stressed executive that comes in and they're, they're just, you know, so pent up on their work environment, they're never really going to get that strong mm. or, or, or that body composition change from our perspective. Like, is lifestyle that influential on, on strength and performance sometimes for some uh, for some individuals like and, and they have to sort of adjust their lifestyle if they do actually want to perform the type of lifts that they're 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 working with you to achieve yeah potentially i mean it, it comes it's almost like a homeostasis thing right that's just kind of their constant yeah yeah uh, how used they are to it and how detrimental that is to their lives is kind of relative to them as an individual individual mm. like I can't, you can't tell someone to stop being a stressed executive if that's their job um, well, it's you know, <laughs> they come and work for the Dubai method. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, they might have to uh, change their pick one or the other. Yes. Yeah. Physique comp or, uh, you know, life, mm-hmm. it's up to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll help wherever I can. And a lot of the time it is a, a fact of coming into a peak and trying to relax a bit more. Yeah. Like mm. trying not to do too much on weekends, trying to just chill out, recover, relax, yeah. keep your mind off. Uh, burning yourself out because obviously all of that extra stress from whatever aspect of life is going to impact on sleep is going to impact on appetite is going to impact on a lot of uh, recovery modalities is going to impact on their training if it's on their mind when they're in the gym and you know it can create this negative reinforcement feedback well my life sucks oh my lifting sucks everything sucks negative So outside from uh, playing the piano mate what kind of things do you do? (laughs) Uh I like a lot of things. I really like food. I really like cooking. I yeah. really like travel. 
Well, yeah, quite eager to come down. Podcast, quite easy to do it on a Skype, and you yeah. came down and saw yeah, the boys no, we'll, from we'll Lyft. Fly down, yeah. Come down, come down to this neck of the woods. Mm. Awesome. So, what's on for the future, mate? Where, what's uh, on the horizons? Uh, so, I'm developing this this brand Zero. Yeah. Uh, Zero, I want to have as I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Juggernaut, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the kind of powerlifting entity, yeah. and, and like Renaissance periodization. You know, I want it to have uh, a, a name on its own as like a hub of information yeah. and good coaching and, and good practitioners. So, I'm bringing on uh, a dietitian. I'm bringing on a uh, team of physiotherapists, just more smart people working under us and putting out content and, and having access to stuff. So building systems within that, that's kind of the next step for me. Um, again, I'm, I'm going back to study next year and hopefully educate myself a little bit further. In terms of business stuff, uh, pulling back from the one-on-one coaching a little bit more as I develop Ricky and give him more clients. Yes. Uh, and I'm moving into a lot more education stuff. So coach mentoring, uh, I do a lot of workshops, fly around the place yeah. and, and present workshops. I love doing that stuff. So. And what about training-wise? Um, how's Because I did mention you, uh, I think you injured yourself, I think it mm-hmm. be a little, must be over 12, 18 months ago now, but mm-hmm. you were coming back from injury. Uh, how's all that side of things? And, and do you have aspirations to, when are you competing again anytime soon? Like what, uh, have you hung up your, I uh, can't say hung up your posing trunks, but hung up your uh, lifting belt uh, and shoes at this stage? Or have no. you still got aspirations to... Uh, and, and what do you got your, I mean, let's be honest, we probably still judge ourselves a little bit by what, what, what we can lift and, uh, you know, I rattled those numbers off. Uh-huh. What, what numbers do you have in your head that you would, uh, you'd be satisfied to, to hit in, in, yeah, whenever your, your, your lifting career. Indefinite like, career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What yeah, do you well, got your it, mindset on? There is Coach Thomas, but uh, first, before Coach Thomas, was always Lifter Thomas. So exactly. he, he's kind of in my brain, always uh, yeah. always bugging me as well. Yeah. Um, so I had uh, two hip surgeries in 2016 just to repair labrums and change bones and get them moving properly again. Uh, and then I had another surgery on my left hip again uh, 12 weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So post the first two surgeries, I came back and put up my best total ever raw, which was a 320 squat, 192 bench, and a 330 kilo deadlift. So, um Next year, I'd like to get back on the platform again, and I'm chasing 900 raw, a 900 raw total. So, and how's, that, how's that fair? Sorry to cut you off. How's that fair in, in uh, nationally? Because uh, that's a 110 class. That'd or? be in the 110 class, yeah. So, uh, it w- it would put me probably in the top 10 of all time in in 110s in Australia. Maybe top five. I think there's there's at least four people that have gone over 900 in the 110s, and there's a couple knocking on the door of it as well. And tell me, um, uh, 110 class easy, because I mean, our listeners aren't in the, 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 the Millennium Noggin with you. I mean, you're, you're a big guy. Is 110, do you have to diet down for that? Because Jordan, uh, obviously, he's a big boy, and, and mm. he, he's like, when he tore his uh, pec and, yeah. and had the injury, it was like, ah, screw it, I'm only doing uh, deadlift now. And then he, bah! you know, went up to like, within a couple of weeks, he was up to 125. And he was, <laughs> I think 115, he was getting close to 110. Yeah. Like, do you have to cut weight to come down to 110 or, or that's an easy class for you? Yeah, well, jo- Jordan is 112 kilos of biceps and then, you know, <laughs> yes. se- seven kilos of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I sit around 112. So it's oh, it's not really, that's a big poo in the morning and I'm yeah. good. Yeah. Well, yeah. you got in again. Poo yeah. poo. poo. <laughs> <laughs> very cool, very uh, cool. cool. Well, mate, awesome. how do people get in contact? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram, TomBro7, or on Facebook, Thomas Lilly. I'm very contactable. Send yeah. me a message. I have a high volume of clients, obviously, so I do take a while to get back, but I always respond. Uh, or Thomas at PTCGoldCoast.com. 
And awesome. uh, anyone listening, if you do want to get you down, because I know you do, I think a couple of times you've come down to Sydney and uh, you've thrown out if anyone wanted to uh, get some coaching. So obviously you love that side of things. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a, a gym somewhere if they want to get you in and uh, talk to your crew and, and present. You're, you're yeah, definitely. Yeah. All, always up for education. I fly around and do a lot of workshops. I've got a, I've got a workshop back here at the end of the year and another one, uh, where's Maitland? That's a couple of hours north Newcastle, of here. Newcastle, right? yeah. yeah. I've got an, another workshop up there. I've been... Uh, I've pulled back on the workshops this year. I think I did about 20 last year. Yeah. Uh, this year's a bit been a bit smaller just while I grow other business aspects. Yeah. Um, but always happy to travel around and, and do workshops. So if you you want some powerlifting education, feel free to send us a message. Awesome. Mm, it's been a pleasure having you in, mate. Yeah, Thanks for your absolute time. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Talk to you in soon. Yeah, Rod, just so pleasing to talk to someone in the industry mm. who's uh, got broad interests and perspectives outside of the four walls of the gym. Very, well, uh, very interesting. Something you're, uh, you're a big fan of. I am indeed. outside of the, uh, the gym and the health and fitness world. Absolutely. So some fascinating stuff there from Thomas Lilly. A couple of points that I really enjoyed, Rod, and looking at each of those primary lifts as uh, a system. Mm. You know, he described a squat as, you know, it's not a leg exercise, it's an everything exercise. Mm, so break down mm, that system mm. and, and work on the parts. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Look, I certainly agree with his uh, thoughts on body composition for power lifters. Yeah. Obviously, the leaner you are as an individual, the more muscle tissue you can carry into yep. a weight class. Yep. Yep. That makes yep. a lot of sense. And then he had some uh, he had some numbers that he liked with the... I think for off-season weight gain, was it? Yeah, well, just for, well, I guess it was in the context of moving up or down uh, weight classes, but that um, 0.4 to 0.8% weight gain, mm-hmm. so of your weight, weight gain per week yep. uh, is what he's looking at. But more above and beyond that, you're starting to put on a little bit too much fat. Mm. Um, and now you mentioned actually those numbers are very close to the numbers that Menno Hanselman uses yeah. for 0.4, uh, 0.4 to 0.7 uh, mm. total body weight loss per week. Yeah, in a cutting phase is uh, within the parameters of, of acceptable parameters. Like you're, so you're yeah, not going to lose too much muscle tissue in correct, the process. Correct. Yeah. So they're the sort of, which you know, for someone me, 110 or whatever, like it's, uh, we'll say working off 100 so we work it out. It's only yeah. 400 to 700 grams a week. Yeah. And for someone that's 50, you know, a little, you know, 50 or 50 kilo. Uh, uh, cam or someone dieting mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh you know a female then that's what a couple hundred grams a week two yeah. to two, two to two to three hundred grams a week so not a lot and i think that uh puts it in perspective of of what sort of numbers although we want a kilo or two every week yeah great great loss so the client gets you know 300 grams it's like oh sh- a shitty shitty week uh, fat loss and it's like well no that's actually between 0.4.7 that's about yeah. right so and I think it's something to be aware of. Yeah, and it's great to have those numbers so you can break it down like that and actually explain that to a client uh, mm. up front before the process goes along. So that yep. you know, if that two hundred gram week mm. comes along, then that's yep. just you know par for the course, and there's no uh, there's no hand and waving. Then the other thing, Tommy, is you know, averages over time. You know, like you might have got two hundred grams uh, this week, but mm. last week you got a kilo. You know, mm. so it's that consistency, <laughs> consistency. Uh, yeah, and as long as over time, it's going. Going down, we're, down we're all or, good. Or 
Now, Rawdon, uh, just as we wrap things up here, the Under the Bar training, hypertrophy training program yep. is uh, still in development. The actual mm-hmm. programs themselves have been written. That's all done, ready to go. We're just looking, uh, waiting for back-end things. How me- it's going to look. Membership areas on the website and all sorts of stuff to come to uh, yep. fruition. But uh, that's all still underway, which is exciting news. Yep, for any of our listeners that are about to sign with the coach. Forget it. <laughs> We're going to release our program. It will solve all your, your, your problems and yeah. answers in regards to hypertrophy and fat loss. That's it's right. It's going to do everything. Bells and whistles. Yeah. Uh, if someone wants to, uh, competitor wants to come on board and work with you, Rawdon, how do they get in contact? Well, uh, not via the elusive uh, website because that's no. still elusive. Uh, but just off of Insta, the Dubois Method or uh, or my name, Rawdon Dubois on uh, Facey or, yep. uh, or the Dubois Method on uh, Facebook as well. So any of those and I'll uh, flick them a message back. Yep. yep. Cool. And Yourself? for me, tomhewitt.com.au. All right, then. Um, thank you, Cam. I hope everyone has a lovely day and uh, we'll talk to you next episode.